everyone, my name is Kamwende and I'm going to be reading the Bible for us today. So feel free to pull out your Bibles or your devices, whatever you have. We're reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. So we're going through a series on Ephesians and we're in chapter 4, verse 17 is where I'm going to start. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you'd heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Right. Okay. I wonder what you think of the phrase, be true to yourself. We hear that one a lot, don't we? Be true to yourself. Does it ring true to you? Does it sound like the right way to live? Uh, perhaps to you it, it sounds authentic, perhaps a bit attractively anti-authoritarian, a bit chilled. Be true to yourself, do what feels right for you. Or perhaps to you, actually, it sounds isolating, even disgraceful. It's boasting about yourself rather than caring for the group. Do I find my identity in my group or as who I am as an individual? Should the way I think and the way I live be controlled by what seems good for everyone around me or by what I feel inside? Be true to yourself, I don't know, should we? It's a really important, it's a really practical question, especially when our group changes. When you leave school and start university, as some of us have just done. When you move to Australia to study or return from Australia to go home again. When you graduate and move into the workforce. When you move house and can't attend uni church anymore. When your group changes, who should you be true to? Well, we're gonna look through that question in, in three parts. Uh, you know, should you be true to yourself? 
Uh, verses 17 to 19, first of all. So I didn't get one of the handouts as we walked in. Has it got, there's a bit of paper with a passage printed on one and space for notes. Excellent. So if you're the kind of person who likes taking notes, we'll passage in three sections, first 17 to 19, uh, and then 20 to 24, and then finally 25 to 32. I won't tell you the heading for each because we're going to build up an answer to that question as we go, uh, whether or not we should be true to ourselves. That's that first section then, 17 to 19. Uh, well, the heading there is fairly plain, isn't it? Don't live as the Gentiles do. Sometimes who we are and how we live should not be determined by the group we're in. Don't live as the Gentiles do. It's a clear and straightforward message, isn't it? Uh, but who are these Gentiles? And why are they like what we don't want to be like? Well, the literal meaning of the word Gentile, of course, is anyone who is not Jewish. So originally, it's a description of, of a race or ethnicity. But in the New Testament, often, including here, it can be used just to mean people who do not follow Jesus. So in this passage, being a Gentile has nothing to do with what ethnic group or what culture or country or anything like that. Rather, the Gentiles here are people who do not follow Jesus, people who are not Christians. I know the people in Paul's time that he was writing to, and for us as well, we're still surrounded by these Gentiles, aren't we? Including our families, our work colleagues, our neighbours. So we're still part of that broader group, and it's easy to want to fit in and belong. But the Bible warns us not to do that. Now, of course, it's not talking here about some cultural differences, is it? It's, it's fine to fit in with things like food, clothing, language. Of course, that one's essential, isn't it? Uh, this passage is not asking us to change from one culture to another culture. It's not saying, oh, don't be like those Gentiles over there, you know, the ones that eat noodles for breakfast instead of Weepix. Or don't be like those Gentiles over there, you know, the ones that keep their shoes on when they go in the house. But what is it about the Gentiles that Jesus' followers are not to be like? In what way are they to be true to themselves rather than the group they're among? Well, look with me at verse 17. I tell you this, I insist on it in the Lord, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Uh, that is, it goes on in verse 18, they're darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Darkened in understanding, separated from the life of God. Their hearts are hardened. In other words, they're stubborn towards God. They don't want to know God or belong to him. This is a false way of living. Did you notice the little phrases here that, that mean more or less the opposite to truth? Futility in thinking, darkened in understanding, ignorance. And that leads to all sorts of wrong behaviour. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. People who are separated from God don't live the way God wants. This is not God's true way of living. So, should you be true to yourself? Well, yes, in the sense that we don't want to live as the Gentiles do. That can be really hard, though, can't it? The pressure to fit in can be enormous. Perhaps you've just started a science degree or your science classmates are telling you that God is irrational. Christians are stupid. We need to remind ourselves, actually, they're darkened in their understanding. 
Sometimes people's parents keep saying, everyone else is getting better marks than you. So of course you want to work hard and earn your parents' approval. But what if that leads to you studying so much that you stop coming to church and it leads to become separated from the life of God? Would it be worth it? Perhaps when you socialise with workmates on a Friday night, they try to get you drunk with them. We need to remember they have lost all sensitivity and are indulging in every kind of impurity. Sometimes it's very hard not to go along with what others want. It's very uncomfortable. Sometimes it's even humiliating. And it can feel totally disloyal to think that sometimes our family, our lifelong friends, might have some false ways of thinking and living. It's a hard thing to say, isn't it? Sometimes there might even be things about our own family that we need to reject. It's a difficult message to accept. Uh, Which is why Paul uses, I think, such strong language in verse 17. Notice how he starts this section. I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Paul knows this is going to feel hard. And so he's very clear about it. Don't simply live like the group you find yourself in. We must no longer live as the Gentiles do. On the other hand, there is something right about living in harmony with others, isn't there? We all need friends. We all need a group to belong to. And so is the solution actually to be true to yourself and distant from the group? Well, let's, let's read on and see. Uh, look at your Bibles. I'm going to read verses 20 to 24 and see what you think. What do they say, these verses, about being true to yourself? So from verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learnt when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness." What do you think God is saying here? Is the alternative to living like the Gentiles, is it to be true to yourself? Verse 20, 21 seems a bit like it, doesn't it? There's a clear contrast there. It's not the way of life you learnt. If you're a follower of Jesus, then living like the Gentiles is not who you are. The truth is in Jesus, not in any other way of living. Let's go into verse 22. Uh, You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self and put on instead your new self in verse 24. It doesn't sound like being true to yourself, really, does it? It's a message to change. Put off your old self. The old self is corrupt, deceitful. It's the opposite of true. It's deceitful. It seems good sometimes. It often feels good. I want to do what I want but it is not. So don't be true to your old self. Put it off. At the same time, notice that the things in verses 21 to 24 are all completed already. We already know the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22, you were taught already. There's three things following through. To put off, to be made new, and to put on. These have been done already. Remember from chapter 2 a few weeks ago, Alex shared with us that a God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. 
It's by grace we have been saved. We see the same kind of thing here. Look carefully at verse 24. To put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self has been created by God. And so as we trust in Jesus, God has already given us true righteousness and holiness. So we're not being told here to work hard in order to belong to God. We're not being told that we have to change ourselves. Rather, God has already done that for us. He has forgiven us. He has made us alive. He has created a new self for us. That's great news, isn't it? And it's so important to hang on to that. I think Paul does sound a bit strong and almost grumpy in this passage, but I don't think he means to be uh, in the sense of making us worried. We need to remember what God has already done for us. He has already created a new self for us. Uh, the imagery here in these verses, it's like changing clothes, isn't it? <coughs> Excuse me. It's like changing clothes, except that clothes are superficial, uh, but rather this is deeply symbolic of who we are. So when I finished high school, yes, it was a long time ago, I stopped wearing my school uniform. Uh, that wasn't just a fashion statement, probably was a good fashion statement, but it wasn't for that reason. Rather, it was a more profound change. I stopped being a school kid, I became an adult. The change of clothes in Ephesians 4 here is not a superficial thing. It's not a temporary thing to swap in and out of as your situation changes over the years. It's not a matter of feeling like you belong to this Christian group now, but Maybe that'll change in the future when you're with a different group in a different place. It's a much deeper change than from school kid to adult. It's a profound change from the old self to the new self, from being corrupted by deceitful desires to true righteousness and holiness. So yes, be true to yourself, to your new self. You have put on the new self, the self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, then that is who we are. That is who we are, whoever we are with and wherever we are. Our belonging is to Jesus, not to the Gentiles. It's easy to tell when people haven't actually put on the new self because when their group changes, they change too. I had a friend at, at uni called Mike. He's a pretty nice guy. He's a viola player, in fact. Uh, all the viola players I've met have all been nice people. Mike wasn't a Christian, and, and, but one day he told me he used to go to church. In fact, he was a youth group leader. But evidently, life had moved on. He no longer hung out with those people. He was surrounded by a very different group at uni, and so he simply changed and lived according to the new group. It was so sad to hear that. Well, nearly everyone here, I think, will have a significant change sometime in the next few years. Uh, maybe from high school to uni, or leaving Melbourne to return home or to find work elsewhere. When your community changes, will you want to follow what your new group does? Or will you remain true to the new self God has created? I know it's a bit hard to think forward into the future like that, isn't it? But, but please remember that. Please reflect on that. It's, it's a really valuable thing to remember, I think. When your community changes, will you want to follow what the new group does or will you remain true to the new self God has created? 
but does that mean that to be true to ourselves is to be individualistic? Does it mean we won't belong in whatever culture or groups we find ourselves in? Well, not at all. You won't be surprised to hear that. Let's turn to the third section now and see how that helps us with that. Verse 25 to 32. Notice verse 25 starts with the word therefore. That's really important. So we're not moving on to a new idea here. Uh, this is not a separate idea about how to behave when you happen to be in a particular group. No, rather we have a new self, therefore we do these things. Uh, and verse 25 to 32 is a list of some of these things. Uh, let's see what they all are. In fact, I'll get you to just skim it through and then turn to the person next to you for a moment and just count off the items, how many different things on this list. Uh, and more importantly, what do they all have in common? Okay, what's on this list? What do they all have in common? Just, just have a, a quick chat with the person next to you. All right, that's at least giving you enough time to wake up again and, and find the passage if you weren't looking already. Uh, hopefully you've got a bit further than that. What have these all got in common? There's, there's a couple of things. There's probably some other things I've missed. Please tell me later. Uh, but, but the most important thing I want to pull out is they're all relational. Of all the things on this list, you can't do any of them on your own. It's just not possible. They're all about living in community together. Now, Paul is not saying, this is how you behave when you happen to find yourself with a bunch of believers. Remember, verse 25 starts with the word, therefore. If you are a new person in Christ, then we will actively build Christian community by living this way. The new self is true to God's people. Being true to yourself is rightly expressed as a group, not as an individual. You can't actually be true to yourself on your own. The new self is true to God's people. I think there's a second thing, less important, but, but still worth noting. Second thing all the items in this list have in common, and is they're all about the truth as well. That is, they're all about good, genuine relationships. Not hiding things, not covering over issues, but being open and honest and genuine with each other. So the new self here is true to God's people. The first item on the list puts it pretty clearly in verse 25. We won't look at every item in detail, that'll take too long, but we'll, we'll pause on a couple. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. Lies sow mistrust, don't they? Lies create divisions. We can't be members of one body if there are divisions and lies and mistrust between us. Further than that, sometimes putting off falsehood isn't just about the words we say. Sometimes it's about what we're not willing to say. Sometimes it's pretending on the surface that, that a relationship with someone is okay when deep down actually you feel hurt and angry. Sometimes it's about letting everyone else think that, that you're fine, you're going well, putting on a face. But underneath, actually, you really need some help and support. That sort of truth takes a lot of courage. Wanting to simply seem to fit with the group won't be enough. Uh, it will need a genuine desire to be putting off your old self putting on your new self, seeking, uh, seeking righteousness and holiness. Uh, the second one on the list, I think, is probably the longest description, so we'll spend a bit of time on it. It's a little bit tricky to interpret, verses 26 and 27. Uh, it could be saying 
that when you see wrong things happening, be angry. It could be saying, when you see wrong things, don't sin by being complicit in silence, but go and deal with it. It could be. I'm not convinced it's the right interpretation, but, but even if it is, I've got a really important statistic to share. Uh, sometimes it's right to be godly, uh, sorry, it's right and godly to be angry, isn't it? Sometimes. But I think scientific studies have statistically proven that 99.99% of our anger is a complete overreaction. Okay, I'll lie, I haven't found any scientific studies, but I reckon that's true, probably. Does it sound right to you? I reckon nearly all our, action, our anger is a big overreaction, isn't it? So I think at least what this verse is saying is be careful of your anger. Be careful, it so easily leads to sin. Even if there was something righteous about the anger in the first place, it still so easily leads to sin. Now, that fits well with verse 31 as well, doesn't it? Which says, put away anger. Anger so easily leads to sin. And so we're told here, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it promptly before it festers and grows. Sometimes that might mean a gentle conversation with the person you're angry at, perhaps gently pointing out their sin and offering forgiveness. Sometimes that might not be possible immediately. It might just be simple logistics, you can't see them. Or maybe you're too angry to think straight and have that conversation yet. So not letting the sun go down on your anger may not mean fixing the problem totally, but it does mean starting to deal with our anger first. We can pray. We can ask God to help us calm down. We can quote scripture to ourselves. God's word is so powerful, isn't it? Uh, can I suggest if you don't already have an anger verse near the top of your head that you can just pull out in your memory, memorise this one. Memorise this one. In your anger, do not sin. When you feel angry, when you're about to burst out, just quote it to yourself. Take a bit of time to quote scripture to itself. God's word is powerful. It will help us. We can reflect on whether our anger is justified at all. You know, is our anger truthful to the situation or is it blown out of all proportion? Perhaps we should just get over it before the sun goes down. Or if we have been sinned against, we can ask God for a willingness to forgive. To leave our anger unchecked is to quickly give the devil a foothold. Please take this seriously. Don't give the devil a foothold. Especially if your anger leads to violence or shouting or intimidating others. It's really easy actually to hide that from others in our community, isn't it? It's really easy to hide that. But please don't be deceitful like that. Please have the courage to be open and truthful, to get help, to repent, to be true to your new self. It's so easy to get carried along by our anger, isn't it? Uh, some years ago, Imogen and I had an argument in the middle of the night. We were arguing about who should look after this screaming baby. Uh, we were both really tired. It wasn't the best time to have the conversation. And I was suggesting she should go back to bed and get some sleep. And I was a competent father, thank you. So here I was holding the baby. And in my anger, I went, shove. Uh, I'm glad she doesn't remember that incident, actually. So it wasn't too big a deal. But our anger so easily leads to sin. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about anger. Please have the courage to be open and truthful to get help, to repent, to be true to your new self. We'll just touch on the next item very briefly. Can you see the link here to the theme of truth? Uh, so verse 28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer. Stealing is about dishonest gain, isn't it? 
But isn't it interesting that here, the reason not to steal is not to be self-sufficient. Rather, it's to help others. Theft takes from others. Instead, we are called to give to others. That's what living together as God's people looks like. Giving to others, building them up, helping them. Verse 29 and 30, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, Things like swearing, tearing people down, snide remarks, gossip calculated to tear down and not build up, jokes at other people's expense sometimes. Instead, let's our words give grace to others, to those who hear. Our relationships, our community is built on words, isn't it? True and graceful words to each other will build up our community. But when our talk is unwholesome, it makes God very sad. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. I'll leave you to ponder 31 on your own later. Finally, verse 32 I think you should actually start with a little connecting word that some translations leave out. So I think uh, verse 32 is actually one that rounds off the whole list. Uh, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Living this way can be hard work, can't it? It takes courage. It takes a lot of energy. It takes a willingness to be vulnerable. It's risky to be kind and compassionate. To be forgiving is costly. But we can do it because in Christ, God forgave us. We can do it because in Christ, God forgave us. We've all been doing a lot of social distancing lately, haven't we? Uh, We've been keeping a physical distance so as not to get sick. We've still got the handshake crossed out sign on the greeting of the peace slide. That's wise. Let's keep doing it. But sometimes it feels safer to keep an emotional distance too, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels safer to keep some spiritual distance between me and others at church. Things like anger, a lack of truthfulness, bitterness, unwholesome talk, they all put that distance between us, don't they? So let's not do that. The new self is true to God's people. We are all members of one body. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this new self you have given us. Thank you that you've created us to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I pray you would strengthen us to live according to our new self. Please help us to live as members of one body. Amen.